0: We have it. So, Who needs the Holy Spirit? We have a buzzer, right? All right, I'm going to give you two choices to get us warmed up here. Two stories you can choose from. So you're going to have to choose. And the first maybe we'll one. Do the other one. The first one. Okay. Here's the first one. The best prank ever story. Or getting arrested story. <laughs> save one for tomorrow night. How's that? All right, getting arrested story. I told you I was at Brown University, right? Did that tell you all that? Okay, I was in campus ministry there and God did incredible things there, right? We got Rocky Freeman's daughter. who's here because Rocky came to know Christ there and he was actually in the, like the third generation, but the first generation that was reached there, um, there there's like four or five guys that came to know Christ and I, we, we went to Daytona Beach for a Bible conference and an outreach conference to actually go to the beach and share Christ with everybody that's going down to Daytona. So these guys had just come to Christ. This is going to be the first time that they were going to tell someone about Jesus. All right. So one night we go out and I take these four football players with me and time out. We also had Smith College with us. Do you know what Smith College is? It's a girls' school. Girls' school. Yes. Okay. So we had three girls from Smith College with this motley crew, and we were going to go out and talk to people about Jesus. So we go up to this hotel, and it's just, it's rocking, right? People are all over the balconies. People are dancing. They're in the parking lot dancing. They're drinking. And I look up on on the second floor, and I see this huge beer pyramid. I mean, it's like it goes from here. It's, its base goes from say right there all the way over to about here, and it's built up and it's built up about this high, right? And uh, we go up and I said, I said, I said to these guys, "Hey, let's go, let's go talk to them about Jesus." And they, I mean, I wish you could have seen the look on their face. It's just beautiful, right? Uh, so we go walking up there, and, and it's a group of guys we find out they're from Boston, Massachusetts. And we find out that they just got out of jail because they went to some... There's Playboy was having something down there and they pulled the alarms and sent the sprinklers in the hotel on and they got caught because they had that stuff on their hands, right? So they're really, really scared. And they're really open to hear about Jesus. So there were three chairs. The three Smith girls took the chairs. The four of us... Three or no four of those guys, and myself included, we sat on the wall, and we were talking to four or five guys about Jesus. We get about to to point two, which is talking about sin, and a police car comes into the parking lot, and his lights are going, and and people are, (laughs) they're like roaches, man, they are, they're out of here, they're just, it's like that, and these guys really start getting nervous because they're thinking they're coming to get them, Right? And uh, so they, they take off. They go, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. And they're out of here. And one guy stayed. All right? Uh, George, who's from uh, Cleveland, Ohio, he goes, Jeff, I'll go take care of this because we have our little wristbands that show we're a Christian group. And they know about us. I said, go to it, George. So he's going down. and I'm still talking to this guy. And, and George goes, Jeff, like that. And I turn around, and I go, what's the deal? And he goes like this, and the cop, police officer, is motioning us to come down. I come down, and I'm, I'm walking up to him and say, listen, I'm, I'm a campus minister. You see, our, you see our little wristband here? And he goes, I don't care. You're sitting on the wall. And I go, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know about it. He says, it's a, it's a law here that you can't sit on the wall, on the balconies. I said, hey, I'm sorry. Again, we were talking to these people about how to have a relationship with God. I'm sorry. Now, everyone that scooted is now coming out. It is a hotel that's like a U, so it goes like this. And we're in here. Every balcony is filled with people. People are coming out of the parking lot wondering, who are these dudes that are getting arrested? And then everyone, there was probably about 500, 600 college students that were of the same campus ministry. And they start walking by, and they're seeing me, a campus minister, talking to a police officer. And the dude goes, and yeah, we're going to have to cuff you. I go, are you for real? And he goes, yep. So he cuffed us right in front of everybody. And I'm like, I I can't believe this. Here I am taking these poor college students, and now they're getting arrested, right? So the captain of the football team, a guy named Lane Wood, he was not happy about this at all. (laughs) Not at all and he could probably take four or five cops if he wanted to at one time and so he was like I said Lane it's okay bud he goes this isn't right I said it's okay so we get cuffed to each other and we're forced into the back seat of the car and George who went down he goes in first but he, he was pulling Lane the wrong way and Lane grabbed him by the scruff of the neck threw him back out then threw him back in we all get in we go down to the police station, and we're getting booked, and, and we're getting our pictures taken. We're being arrested, right? And the guys were so funny, they said Hatton was the only guy that was smiling in his mugshot. <laughs> Lane, when he was getting his um, finger printed, he wouldn't give the officer his hand. The officer had to take his hand and roll it, and he gave him no help whatsoever. <laughs> so here we are, we're sitting there, and I'm like, I don't know what to do, you know? Well, a, lot of, a whole crowd saw it, so other campus ministers are calling all the reps, and it comes to find out that the district attorney is in the Bible study of one of the people in the town. So he comes down to the station, right, and he's in awe, huff, what are you doing, you know, getting these kids arrested like this, and we're wiping this from their record and everything else, and we leave. We get out. After about five, six hours of sitting in a jail, talking with other people that were there, <laughs> it was a grand old time, you know. We're like, I'm like, I'm in jail with guys that I'm, what an example, right? Uh, so we're going back, and it's like four in the morning, and these four football players are sharing Christ for the first time. They said, let's go back and talk to those guys. And I go, you really? And they're like, yeah, let's go talk to them. So we go up, and as we're up there talking to him, Lane turns to me and goes, Jeff, I'm not real proud about what I was thinking when they were cuffing me. And I said, well, what were you thinking? He was saying, I, I said, I was thinking I can take this guy, and this would be all over in two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Lane, that's okay. I'm glad you didn't do that, right? so he, I mean, I love these guys. Those are, those are my kind of guys. So we, get, we go up to this, these guys, and we knock on the door. They open the door a crack, and they see us, and they pull us into the room, and they're like, what happened to you guys? What happened? And, uh, And I forgot to tell you all this, though. The one guy that stayed, the guy that got arrested the night before, we stopped at sin. That's all we got, as far as we got to. While we were being arrested, he came down and went up to the police officer and said, listen, those are my beer cans. These guys had nothing to do with that. And I said, dude, you're all right, man we're getting arrested for sitting on your wall. He's <laughs> like, really? And I go, really? <laughs> so we go back in there, and this guy was so happy to see us. And he goes, can you please finish what you were telling us? And so now we start talking about Jesus. And every single one of those guys, at least in that moment, made a profession of faith. It was unbelievable. It was a good time. So that's my arrest story. The prank story, maybe tomorrow night. All right, John 17. We're going to look at 20 through 21. Get your electronic devices, get your, get your literary books open. Do you know what literary books are these days? Okay, good. I've actually moved to the Kindle myself, so I... Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. All right, here's the question, y'all, that we're going to start tonight. Are you ready? If Jesus prays a prayer, is it possible for that prayer to go unanswered? If Jesus prays a prayer, is it possible for that prayer to go unanswered? First, we saw Jesus do what in verses one through five? Who's he praying for? Right. And what is he praying for? He's praying for his victory. Listen, if you get anything in verses one through five, Christianity is about good news, not good advice. And Jesus' victory is a comprehensive salvation, a global salvation that includes all of your justification, sanctification, your glorification. So that prayer is answered by God. Then we saw Jesus pray for his immediate disciples in verses 6 through 19. What did he pray for? He prayed that they would escape the world, that they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't see the world as the garden. <laughs> they wouldn't get tripped up And forsake the true garden. And did God answer that prayer? Yeah, you bet. Because they didn't. These are the original disciples. What else did he pray? That they be sent into the world. On a mission. Of meaningful ministry. God answered that prayer. Now look at verses 20 through 23. You looking at them? I guess I need to look at them. Let's go there real quick. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There we go. All right, here we go. You ready? I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they may also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. Jesus is praying for us to be one. Jesus is praying for the church to be unified. Is God answering that prayer? I went on Wikipedia and I started looking up how many Christian denominations there are in Christian ministries and Christian affiliations. Wikipedia says there are 41,000 Christian denominations. That's just denominations. You start moving into affiliations and ministries, and you've got everything from healthcare ministries to MMA ministries. I do MMA. I can't believe there are ministries of that. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Christian puppet ministries. So is, is God answering Jesus' prayer for unity? 41,000 denominations? Do you... Who said yes? Ethan? Okay, Ethan. Do you know? Do you know the number one reason missionaries leave the mission field? Do you know the number one reason that ministry leaders like your pastors, like your elders, leave ministry? You know what the number one reason is? No. Relational conflict. Is God answering Jesus' prayer. What are some reasons we leave a church? Something to do with the pastor, not cool enough, too weird? Too relationally challenged, we might say. Well, he's he's too not like Billy Graham or Tim Keller or Jimmy Fallon, right? Sermons are too boring or too long or he's too lecture-like. Or how about something to do with music? Too traditional, too contemporary, too hokey? Too loud, too entertaining, too rigid, too unfeeling. Too many instruments, not enough instruments, too many raised hands, too many people sitting on hands. (laughs) Something to do with youth ministry. Too big, too small. The youth guy's crazy. He's not crazy enough. Too much fun, not enough fun. Too many of the wrong kids are going to the youth group. You know, those sinners. (laughs) Something to do. Something to do. Maybe we leave church for something to do with Mrs. Holy and Mr. Self-Righteous. Too much begging for money. Didn't meet my needs. The jerk that taught Sunday school. The cold and unfriendly people. Couldn't get plugged in. Is God answering Jesus' prayer for unity? A man approached the great British preacher Charles Spurgeon, looking for the perfect church. <laughs> Gosh, I love this. Spurgeon told him, "Yeah, well, look, dude. Well, he didn't say dude, but he would have said dude." The Spurgeon was cool. Look, we've got many saintly people here, but a Judas could be here, and some might be walking disobediently, like the believers at Rome, Corinth, Galatia, <laughs> the whole New Testament. Then Spurgeon paused and he said, you know, my church is not the one you're looking for. But if you should happen to find such a church, I beg you not to join it because you'll ruin the whole thing. (laughs) Is God answering Jesus' prayer for unity. John White, a leader of InterVarsity, he wrote, considering all the divisions that have plagued Christendom for 2,000 years, it is amazing that God has continued to use the church to extend his kingdom. Is God answering Jesus's prayer for unity? Hmm. We just read the passage, so we don't need to read it again. So, can I pray for us, and then we'll we'll get into the text? And I'm, I'm gonna, can I grab? I'm just going to put my Bible right <coughs> here. That'll keep me from moving that way. But that way, good night. Who knows? I could be out the door. All right, let's pray. Lord, we um. We ask you to shine on the page. We ask that, Holy Spirit, that you would move and open our eyes, work in our hearts, and do for us which we cannot do for you. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are the resurrected one, you are the triumphant one, and you have accomplished good news. It's not about good advice, it's good news so we trust you to do that and father we thank you for sending your son your only son and it's in his name we pray amen Amen. all right y'all we got to tackle what unity is what is it Look at verse 20 and 21. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one. Here's Jesus' first prayer for unity. Go to verse 22. That they may be one. Here's his second prayer for unity. Now verse 23. That they may be perfectly one. Here's his third prayer for unity. Jesus prays for oneness or unity three times. Unity is a big deal. It's a huge deal. So what is Unity being one or unity is actually borrowed from an image in the bible that is huge in the bible marriage two becoming one to forming a whole new relationship unity in the church is forming a whole new relationship of deep friendship and love where well, there hasn't been any of that before Tim Keller In his new book on prayer, our church back home is reading it. It's our summer book club, and that's what we're reading as a church. He says this about unity. Describes it as the fierce happiness. I love that. Fierce happiness? Who writes like that? Fierce happiness of dynamic loving relationships. The joy of being loved and loving in return. Unity is deep friendship. And love. It's loving and being loved. It is community in its truest sense. Now, don't miss this. How important is unity? Very. Yeah, very important. But why? Why is it? Can unity be ignored among Christians and everything still be okay? Can we ignore unity and we still be okay? Can the church ignore unity and the church still function? How significant is unity? Look at verse 21 again. That they may all be one. There's unity. Now why? Here's here's the reason. Here's how significant it is. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Drop down to 22. That they may be one. There's unity again. Now why? Even as we are one. Yikes. Go down to 23. I am them, you and me. This is unity in the Trinity. Why? that they may be perfectly one, which is Christian unity. How crucial is unity? It's the stuff of life. Unity is embedded in the very fabric of life. Why? Because the source of all reality is God himself, and the trinity is a unity of community. The Trinity is the perfect friendship. And that friendship in the Trinity is ultimate reality. It's the meaning of life, it's the fabric of life, it's how life works. One theologian says it this way, God has always had within himself a perfect friendship. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are adoring one another, glorifying one another, loving one another, delighting in one another. God himself is the perfect friendship, a community of unity. God did not need to create us in order to know and experience friendship, love, and unity. He already had it. He created us to share it. He wanted to share deep friendship. He wanted to share deep love. He wanted to share unity and community. That's how life works, folks. This is why Jesus prays for unity. For us, because unity is who God is. It's sharing in His love, His happiness, His friendship. This is why throughout the Bible we're called to unity and we're called to put aside disunity. Notice this He calls us to joy and love and friendship. He calls us to the joy and meaning of being on the same team. And notice what happens, though, when we're on the same team. Look at verse 21 and 23. The world, unbelieving people, see Jesus when there's unity. I mean, this is astounding. Think about your skeptics. Think about the critics. Think about the unchurched. They don't need more evidence that demands a verdict. They need to see more unity. They need to see deep friendship and they need to see deep love among God's people. And in doing so, they actually come to faith. Now, there's an evangelistic strategy for you there's an outreach plan. That's unbelievable. So, mission happens and people are persuaded. Unexpected people are reached when we live in unity, when we're friends. When we commit to be known by each other and to know each other. So, the question again that I'm asking is Is God answering this prayer? Jesus prays three times for unity. To not live in unity is to tear at the moral, relational, spiritual fabric of the universe. To not, be in, to not be in unity is tearing the fabric of the world apart. To not believe in unity is like someone not believing in gravity and going up to one of these mountains and jumping off saying, I don't believe in gravity. Disunity wrecks marriages, it wrecks families, and it wrecks churches. What's the number one cause for disunity? What's the number one cause for relational wreckage? For missionaries leaving, for ministers leaving, for you bagging out on the church when you get older. Alexander Solzhenitsyn is a great Russian novelist who wrote and spoke about controlling totalitarian governments. All right? And he was... He spent time in a Russian gulag for doing so, and he was speaking to the Harvard class, graduating class in 1978. Here's what he said about relationships. You ready? A society based on the letter of the law, that means, I want, anytime you hear letter of the law in this passage, I want you to hear moralism and legalism, all right? A society based on the letter of the law, moralism or legalism, is never reaching any higher. It fails to take advantage of the full range of human possibilities. The letter of the law, moralism and legalism is too cold and formal to have a beneficial influence on society whenever the tissues of life is woven of legalistic relationships this creates an atmosphere of spiritual mediocrity that paralyzes men's noblest impulses after a certain level of the problem has been reached legalistic thinking induces paralysis it prevents one from seeing the scale and meaning of events in other words legalistic relationships push you into unreality Legalistic relationships are the number one cause of disunity in marriages, families, churches, workplace, anywhere. Think this out with me, will you? Whenever we give or withhold love and friendship and unity based on the performance of another, disunity is, unav- is unavoidable. If we give and withhold Friendship and love based on someone's performance disunity is right around the corner. It just needs the right trigger. Let's face it, y'all. We are all deeply flawed, flawed people, whether we realize it or not. This means every day we give people reasons based on our bad performance to withhold friendship and love to us. So today, you might be withholding friendship and love based on the bad performance of another person. Tomorrow, you're the one that's being withheld friendship and love because you're bad performance in their eyes. Legalistic relationships destroy unity. Years ago, uh, when Redeemer was a young church, um, a friend of mine was upset because of the way I handled a difficult leadership situation. I mean, he was really upset. Uh, so much so that we, start, we both said hurtful things to each other. Uh, we were at an impasse. We didn't know what to say. He was going off to be a pastor for the first time for himself, and I didn't know what to say to him anymore, so I said, you know, we'll call him George. George, maybe one day you'll see how lonely and hard leadership is. And Maybe one day you'll, you'll see that no matter how hard you try, you're not going to get it right every time. Six months ago, he's been a pastor now for five, six years. He writes me a letter. says, "I see it now. I get it now. I'm sorry. Is God answering Jesus' prayer for unity? The answer is yes. Yes, he is right, but not the way we think. Watch how the text does this. Look at verse twenty-two and twenty-three. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, you and me. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was given full glory. Do you see what the text is saying? When Jesus rose from the dead, he was given. I'm going to throw a big word at you: eschatological life. He was given the kingdom of God. Another way of saying it, he was given a comprehensive salvation. He was given victory. And Jesus, being the good friend that he is, what did he do? He turns around and gives it to us. Look at the result of being given full glory. So part of the package of your salvation and my salvation, part of the good news is this. That they may be one Even as we are one, I am them, you and me, that they may be perfectly one. In other words, the result of Jesus' work is that he accomplished unity. He did it, it's done. Unity has been finished, fixed, achieved, worked for. You are now legally, objectively, in all reality, one with God. And we are one with each other, whether we feel like it or not. And it's something Jesus did in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And you had nothing to do with it. Unity is accomplished right now. We are unified. We are united. We are friends. This means all Christians and all true churches are already one, period. This means we do not achieve unity. We experience the unity that someone else achieved. So Jesus was cut off from the unity of the Trinity so that we could be unified. Jesus was cut off from deep friendship and deep love with God so that you would never have to be. And so that he could form through his cutting off an actual forming of unity, of deep friendship and love with each other and with God. So, is God answering Jesus' prayer for unity? Yes, he already did it. It's done, it's finished, it's accomplished. At the cross and resurrection, that's when it happens. So, how are we doing? That's the issue. Are you a good friend? It's not an issue of whether you're gonna be a friend, and it's not an issue of whether you're gonna be a teammate. It's not an issue of whether you're gonna be unified because that's done. The issue now is are we gonna be good teammates or bad teammates? Are we gonna be good friends, or bad friends? But we're friends. We're gonna be good teammates or bad teammates? But we're teammates. It's finished. It's accomplished. I just finished a book called The Art of Leadership. I'm going to do it for this class I was taking. The the author is a guy named Dupree, right? Dupree has a grandson who's a little guy, and he locked himself into a bathroom. And his mom couldn't get the bathroom door open, so she starts panicking. She calls the police, and the police couldn't get the door open either. So now she's really panicking. So she calls the fire department. The fire department comes in. They can get the door open. Why? Because they have axes. So they just cut that door down, right? And the real, what I want you to see about the story is absolutely phenomenal. The real power in the story, though, is not the axes. The real power in the story through the panicking mom, through the police not being able to open it, and through the firemen tearing down the door is that the little boy was, hold, was sticking his hands into the door so he could touch his mom. So he could hold her hand you were made to have your hand held. Why? Because God in the Trinity is a community. That's the way life works. And you are redeemed to hold other people's hands to the good and the bad, and to be a good team and a good teammate, and to form deep friendships And learn to love each other. And be an unshockable community. Because Jesus has already accomplished it. It's done. Amen? Amen. I'm done.